Hi, everyone. Just a note. This podcast was recorded during the time that we were all sheltering in place due to the pandemic and prior to current world events. Welcome to The Awardist, the podcast from Entertainment Weekly that takes you inside this year's Emmy race with interviews, analysis, and more. I am Sarah Rodman, Executive Editor of Entertainment Weekly, overseeing all things TV and music. And I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, overseeing all things reality TV and garbage. I love it. And speaking of garbage, I'm so excited to tell you about this terrible show I'm watching, Kristen. Tell me. It is called Breaking the Band, and it is on Reels. That's R-E-E-L-Z, Reels. Wait, wait, wait. is this like Bands on the Run from VH1? Do you remember that? Oh, my God. (laughs) I loved Bands on the Run. This is not like this. So Breaking the Band is about bands that have had famous breakups or, like, (gasps) problems. But the best part about this terrible show, and I feel terrible calling it terrible, but it has reenactments in it. (laughs) No, it's not. So it's like Van Halen, Kiss, Led Zeppelin, like all these bands that had sort of crazy dynamics between them. And then there's that woman who was the psychologist on all the VH1 MTV shows, Dr. Papadopoulos. I think she was on the weight loss show on VH1. And then they have like people that have worked with the bands and stuff. It's just super low rent and amazing. And it's so much fun. And if you like classic rock, you will love this show. I want to do like a deep dive on the people who are playing the rock and rollers in the reenactments. Like, can right. you can you imagine the audition process? Okay, so you're going to be Ace Fraley when he threw a pizza at Paul Stanley's head. I don't know if that really happened, but I'm just saying. Yeah, um, yeah. excellent. Uh, excellent guess. Of things that do happen. (laughs) But I would I would love to know everything about the process of auditioning for and then shooting these reenactments. Yeah. So breaking the band on reels is my bad TV recommendation for you this week. Kristen, what terrible TV are you watching? Well, I mean, it's terrible in a way that I love it very much, even though I know it's terrible. I'm watching uh, certainly uh, The Bachelor Presents colon Listen to Your Heart, uh, which, if you didn't know, was the most recent Bachelor spinoff in which aspiring uh, single musicians pair up and try to find love, comma, a career. I'm just glad it's not called Bachelor colon Listen to Your Colon. <laughs> That would be much, much worse. <laughs> that's yeah, that's on discovery. But um this one is, you know, so they date and they have love triangles and then they also sing and it's terrible and I love it. I will watch every second. Just turn it on when you need to check check out of your brain and enjoy. Exactly. And so that is the exact opposite of what we're actually talking about today, which is the outstanding drama performers category. Because these people are the opposite of bad reenactments and terrible TV movies. These people are the gold standard of peak era platinum television. We love them. They do the dramatic acting and potentially they win the awards. So we will be talking about um, all of those people. And there are so many dramas, so little time. And then uh, later on, we are going to be talking to Matthew McFadden from Succession about how much they all love each other, which is actually quite heartwarming for a show that is is not about loving each other. Please tell me that you also spoke to him about 
Thank you for the chicken. You know I did, girl. You know I did. Oh, yes. But first, before we dive into the outstanding drama performers category, which would be actor and actress, our podcast producer extraordinaire, Noah Eberhardt, is going to quiz us on a little Emmy trivia. Over to you, Noah. All right. Let's see if Kristen can redeem herself from last week. Rude. Four actors have been nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series eight times. Three of those are Raymond Burr, Peter Falk, and Dennis Franz. Hmm. Who is the fourth? This would be such a better question if we could just say Perry Mason, Columbo, and Sipowitz. If we could just answer what those characters were. Because I know all of those. And I do not know the answer to this question. Somebody who has been nominated eight times. All right. And this is a guess. This is kind of a long shot, but Michael Landon. Oh, that's a good guess. You know what? I'm going to steal your guess and agree with you and say it's Michael Landon. That's a really good (laughs) guess. It's probably not right, though. The answer is John Hamm. John John Hamm. Hamm. Of course it's John Hamm. Man, we were thinking classic to Brian Cranston. (laughs) Yeah, right? Oh, well. So neither one of us win, sadly. No, uh, it's still still a tie right now uh, for this week. And the second question is, who is the most nominated actress uh, in the outstanding lead actress in a drama category? And how many times was she nominated? Okay, I actually know the answer to this one. So, Kristen, you should just steal my answer. Okay. (laughs) It's Angela Lansbury. (gasps) And she was nominated 12 times. And this is just one of those like Emmy things that gets repeated every year. So that's why I know it. <laughs> I steal her answer. And I, I also steal her uh, indignation that she that Angela Lansbury never won. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm assuming that's right, Noah. That is correct. It's all tied up. Look at that. <laughs> All right, let's jump into these drama actor and actress categories. So for a refresher on last year, our winner was Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. And her competition was Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones, Viola Davis from How to Get Away with Murder, Laura Linney from Ozark, Mandy Moore from This Is Us, Sandra Oh from Killing Eve, and Robin Wright from House of Cards. So there are two people that we can discount right away. Robin Wright and Amelia Clark. Yep. Killing Eve is still possible, right? And it's last season of How to Get Away with Murder. Yes. I think front runners, if we're talking front runners, you got to uh, say Viola Davis. She's a perennial mm-hmm. nominee. It's the last season. Voters love her. I think you do probably at least put one Killing Eve back. Actress on there, if not both. I don't know if it would also if it would be Jodie Comer and Sandra O oh again, um, right. because they both submit as lead, which I feel like that's a strategy error on their part. But whatever. I would also add Laura Linney. They love Ozark, and I think this year so many people have been talking about this season specifically of Ozark and her sort of get really growing into this Lady Macbeth type storyline. Yeah, and you know voters love Laura Linney, and she has been nominated twice now for this. So maybe yeah. this is her time. So I feel like she's definitely a front runner also. But what wasn't here last year that I do think is going to be a spoiler potentially for the Killing Eve ladies is the morning show ladies. And The Handmaid's Tale. And The Handmaid's Tale, yes. Which I feel like both of the Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon and Elizabeth Moss may be 
the people that edge out Jody and Sam. Right. Because you still also have Nicole Kidman for Big Little Lies. Yep. And Olivia Coleman for The Crown. And voters love Olivia Coleman as well. They should. Yeah. I mean, I think that the list of potential front runners, like I really think it could be Jodie Comer, Viola Davis, Jennifer Aniston, Sandra Oh, Elizabeth Moss, Nicole Kidman, Olivia Coleman, Laura Linney. Like it's really a competitive category already. But I think you're right. I think morning show for sure. I feel like Jennifer Aniston especially is a lock for this category. And oddly enough, as much as I think she's a lock, she would actually top my wish list category. Mm-hmm. I loved her so much on this show. She's so good. I think that Reese Witherspoon was great, but there's a degree to us expecting Reese Witherspoon to be great, which is so terrible. It's like, you are typically wonderful. So we don't notice as much when you're wonderful. And it's not that Jennifer Aniston isn't typically wonderful, but this was such a perfect role for her. And she bit into it it with such relish that I, and then she won the SAG award and her speech was so lovely and touched. And I would just love to see that happen again. I really loved her. I understand the show is flawed. I understand people's problems with it. But I just adored her performance. Straight through, both she and uh, Steve Carell, I think, were incredible in it and deserve nominations. What I will say about Reese Witherspoon, I didn't love her character in this. I don't think the character was super well-defined. She did a good job. I think she has a better shot over in the limited series category when we when we talk about that in another episode. I think her performance in uh, Little Fires Everywhere is probably the stronger one. But again, she's a big name and... Emmy voters not only love, you know, these actresses, they also love having big, splashy stars at their ceremony. So and how much does Reese Witherspoon, can we just say for a moment how great it is? Big Little Lies, Little Fires Everywhere, The Morning Show. We talk so often about breaking down the barriers between movie stars and TV stars and how that's gone away over the past decade with peak TV. But she is perhaps the most emblematic and embracing of what storytelling on TV can be like. And she's been so wonderful on all of these things, regardless of how flawed these things she has been in are. And I agree, her character was done a disservice in a way that Jennifer Aniston wasn't in terms of the way the character was rounded up. But I still think she did a great job. Yeah, we love us some Reese. A couple other names that we haven't mentioned that could sneak in here. You got some Sarah Snook from uh, Succession. Shiv, and she is great. And the other potential uh, dark horse is Evan Rachel Wood for Westworld. This is not a great season of Westworld, but she has been nominated pretty much every season of Westworld, and she's good. And she is, again, excellent in something that's very confusing. Yeah. And so I think, though, because there are some some of these new entries like Morning Show and because there's, another, you know, Handmaid's Tale wasn't eligible last year and Elizabeth Moss, like, I feel like they always give it to her. It's it's going to be harder for these, you know, less obvious choices to to slip in. Absolutely. And who is on your wish list, Kristen? Who do you want to see in this? Category? She tops my wish list in this category every year, and she will until the day I die. Christine Mother Effing Baranski for <laughs> the Good Fight. I don't know what she has to do, people. I don't know what she has to do. To get a nomination this season uh, is a little weird and I'm still loving it very much. And, you know, maybe the show it's on CBS All Access. Apparently voters do not have CBS All Access, but it is honestly she consistently gives one of the best performances on television every year in the show. And they never nominate her. It is a crime. All right. I think Kristen has some issues to work out. So we're going to move on to the actor <laughs> category. So if we look at last year's 
actor race for lead actor in a drama series. We have our winner, Billy Porter. What? Yes. what? We are very happy about Pray Tell winning that award. Jason Bateman from Ozark. Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us. Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones. Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul. And Milo Ventimiglia from This Is Us. So the person being pulled out of this category this year would be Kit Harrington, since Game of Thrones has ended its watch. And we <laughs> ended our watch of it. I feel like all of these guys are locked to return. Billy Porter, Jason Bateman, Sterling, Bob Odenkirk, maybe not Milo. Maybe not Milo. And I mean, maybe it's just me because I have sort of freed myself of the tyranny of this is us. Um, I do. I know they love Sterling K. Brown. I wonder if maybe instead they'll throw him a supporting uh, or guest uh, nomination for Maisel, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, because I do wonder if the bloom is off the uh, this is us rose in terms of nominations. Maybe it's just me, but they do love him. Um, the only other thing I would person I would add to the sort of front runner category is Brian Cox. Yes. Who weirdly was not nominated last year. And I think that this is the year that Succession really blew up and he's so good. He is so good. He's so commanding. And I feel like he is also oddly, even though he's entirely intimidating on that series, there's something deeply lovable about him at the same time. But back to Bob Odenkirk just for a second. Again, he's just so good. And I think the trajectory is so impressive. Like from... Mr. Show and the things that we knew about him and all of the things that he's been in since then to like this role, like we love Bob Odenkirk. This season has, he's been so good. He's making that concrete moral shift from guy just trying to do his little slip and Jimmy things to power legal player to the criminal stars and the the toll it's taking not only on his relationship, but also on his soul is really intense. I love him so much. He gets nominated every year. I think he's a lock. I just want him to win. So he is now the John Hamm to Brian Cranston. Yes. Like, that Brian kept winning and and finally John won. And I mean, maybe this is the year that Bob finally wins because people really love this season. People that I would add to the possibility list would be Al Pacino and Hunters because mm-hmm. people really seem to be talking about that performance. And Tobias Menzies from The Crown. But what I want him to have been nominated for was like guest actor on Game of Thrones playing Ed Muir Tully, the worst character ever in history. That was hilarious. (laughs) But apparently people enjoy him on The Crown as well. Yeah, he's very, very good as Prince Philip on The Crown. And um, the only other one that I would throw in there is Ben Mendelsohn from The Outsider, which I have not watched because I am a wuss. I think people who have watched this show really think he's done a, a great job. So I think he's on the list as well. And who would be on your wish list of people that we don't think are going to get nominated necessarily, but we would love to see them up there. All right. Top of my wish list is Jimmy Simpson for a show called Perpetual Grace Limited. Interesting choice. It is uh, on Epics. You can download their app for you know something like $5 a month and watch it there. And it's this crazy Fargo-esque, really funny, really moving, weirdly complicated a story about a guy brought into this con. They're going to try to steal the money of Ma and Pa, these guys from the small town. Ma and Pa are played by Jackie Weaver and Ben Kingsley, and who are amazing. And they turn out to be way more dangerous than anyone could expect. And Jimmy Simpson 
you know, as the con and the scheme gets more and more screwed up and things go wrong left after right, he has to be so calm. He tries, he's holding it together, but you can tell because he's a great performer on the inside, his character is panicking more and more and more. But on the outside, he's just staying calm, man, just trying to keep it together. I would love to see him get nominated for that. I think it's a long shot. Yeah, it does seem like a stretch, but he's one of the people that Westworld brought back to prominence. I mean, he's, you know, been working for a long time because he's such a good actor and he had been doing character parts, which he is great at for such a long time, but it's good to see him step into something sort of bigger and different, but also still really quirky too. Yeah. Very strange, but lovable. The only person on my wish list that I would love to see get into this category is Alano Miller from a show on OWN that Kristen and I both loved called Cherish the Day. This was one of my favorite shows this year. It sort of came out of left field. It's about a couple and one day in their relationship over the course of five years. So each episode is one day. It was brilliantly conceived by Ava DuVernay. Zosha Rokmar plays the lead female character, and they're just such a good couple, but he's so great in this thing. Yeah, It's the kind of thing, basic cable show that doesn't get a lot of love or notice, and I would love to see him in this category. I mean, and they have such great chemistry uh, together. Uh, He's very handsome, which, you know, shouldn't factor in, but I'm just saying he's also talented. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, And the show itself is, uh, you know, it's really well done and thoughtful, but it's also a great kind of primetime soapy romance, which I love. And we don't see a lot of in a, in a real adult way. It's not campy or silly or winky. It's, it's thoughtful and it's dramatic, but it's also funny. So that is our tip. Another tip for this week, Hot Church tip. the Day on OWN, which is available on the OWN website now that the show has run its course. So up next, uh, we have my interview with Matthew McFadden, and I was really looking forward to this because I love Succession, but we also got to talk a little bit about his AMC series quiz, which I hope you all watched about the UK who wants to be a millionaire scandal. He was excellent in that opposite Sean Clifford from Fleabag. We talk mostly about Succession because there's so much to talk about there, including working with Nick Braun, aka Cousin Greg. So it's a lot of Tom Wom scans and Cousin Greg. So if you enjoyed Succession, I hope you enjoy this. Matthew, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am pretty good, all things considered. I feel like anybody that's doing what we're doing right now is in much better shape than a lot of people. So trying to be grateful. Exactly. Comparatively, we're probably very lucky, but my little family are doing all right. Oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, there are these weird silver linings to the situation that we're in now. And one of them is all of my friends that I told to watch Succession are now watching Succession. (laughs) Oh, good. That's good. Yeah, there's a lot of TV being watched. <laughs> and uh, and I'm just so curious, like, I before we had to come inside, were there people sending you chicken at restaurants just so you would be like, thank you for the chicken? I was, no, I haven't had any chicken related kind of, there's, there's been no sort of chicken intrusion. Although, because Brian Cox has a famous, he's spoken about it a lot, but a lot of people have come up to him and uh, asked them to tell him to fuck off as Logan Roy. Well, I guess it's good that they're not doing like bore on the floor. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Or throwing sausages at me. There could be a lot of, of unsavory things, but I just have to say, I love the show. 
Oh, thank you very much. And you all seem like you are having so much fun making the show, even though you all sort of intermittently hate one another. I feel like there's this radiance of joy from what is actually sort of a dark situation. I mean, I'm assuming that is accurate. You guys are having a good time. Yeah. And often when you do something that is quite dark and horrid, it's sort of a lot of fun on set. And so that's certainly true with Succession. I think... Adam and Jesse and our brilliant casting director and Edward, they just got a really great bunch of people together. I hope, you know, they just love it. And you all vibrated such a different frequency, which is so perfect for your character. Sometimes with drama, sort of the showrunner voice comes through almost. Yeah. Everybody talks like Aaron Sorkin. Everybody talks fast like Amy Sherman Palladino. But on Succession, everyone is really so distinct. Do you enjoy watching your castmates do their thing? Because it's so different. I really do. Yeah. There is a danger. Sometimes you think we're all in different shows, but you have your little universes. Mine with mostly with Shiv, with Sarah Snook and with Nick Braun, who plays Greg. Yeah. You do, you do sort of think, where am I? What, what's, what, what's Kieran doing? And what's Jeremy up doing? You know, but we do the, one of the joys of succession are these great big long set piece scenes. Mm. that we do a lot of like a Thanksgiving or a big, you know, the big thing on the boat. So it is wonderful. You do, you do get a sense of everybody in the, in situ. And I have to ask because the show is essentially a drama, but of course life has comedy in it, but Mm. is it just about playing the comedy straight that makes it so funny? Because there, this to me is one of the funniest shows on TV. And I don't, don't think Mm. that it would be classified as a comedy, obviously. As actors, you have an ear for what's funny and what, what's comic, and it's partly sort of technique and timing and all the rest of it. So you know where the funny bits are. You know, when you read the script, it makes me hoot. But when you play it, you, you play it deadly serious, straight down the line, you know. And then if it's funny, the more truthfully you play it, the funnier it is. Uh, and the sadder it is by the same token, or the, or the more tragic it is, or whatever. And Tom just treads that line between tragedy and comedy, I think, And cousin Greg also too, like there's this great ambition and I believe that there's skill and competence there. Right. But at the same time, he is constantly undermining himself. (laughs) There is some skill. There's some somewhere. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. Jesse often jumps in, you know, if I do a take that's particularly stupid, he's running a, like a billion dollar department of waste. He can't be a total moron. Right, exactly. Um, so we sort of try and make him slightly <laughs> competent. Well, there is a, a, a spine of competence. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and he's he's got a certain kind of energy to him. And and he's not, I mean, he's not adult. I mean, he's not dumb. His fear and his ambition and, I, mean, I don't know, he wants to be liked. That sort of gets in the way of everything, I suppose. Well, I mean, it's such a war going on. Yeah, exactly. Between wanting to be liked and his ambition and his desire to be liked consistently undercuts his ambition. (laughs) Because it's like, you can't have both, dude. And he's just so deeply uncool that like being liked is like (laughs) never going to be an option. And sometimes I would think like, what is it like to play somebody so uncool? Like, is that like demoralizing sometimes? It is a little, but it's kind of lovely. It's just, there's something, there's something really acutely awful and sort of delicious and, and ass-clenching. Kind of, you just think, oh, God. But it's sort of wonderfully therapeutic as an actor because you can do that and then sort of, you know, they shout cut. And then you think, that's, that's, not, that's not my life, thank 
Christ, you know. You work out all your like personal cringe moments. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All the sort of terrible nightmares you have. And I can I can sort of act them out. <laughs> right. Tom is constantly waking up in the naked at school nightmare. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So I sleep very well <laughs> as Matthew. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I wanted to ask about um working with Nick and Cousin Greg because I feel like Tom and Cousin Greg. I mean, th- there's so many moments of you throwing water bottles at him, of, mm. like just like physical, actual comedy. I feel like you guys are the yeah. only people that actually get to do that sort of slapsticky thing on the show. And he's so <laughs> gangly and big and like, yeah. is that some of the most fun you have? Or is that like hard and must be choreographed kind of thing? I mean, like anything, it is, it's delicious, but... Uh, you know, it's fun and the anticipation of it is wonderful. You know, you sort of work at it and try and technically get it right. And um, But it's a joy. It's really lovely. Nick's lovely. It's uh, it's hard when someone's drunk all the time, but Nick's, Nick's okay. And he's, he's uh, it's the drinking in the morning, which is hard. Yeah, yeah. But I he's mean... fine. And he's getting, he's, he's getting a handle on it. And the more this with the, you know, we're in season three, so, so he'll have to step it up. No, he's gorgeous. He's he's. We have too much fun. We've had so much fun. We sort of we get in touch with each other the night before shooting and say, "Come on, we have to. We can't laugh in the state. We can't break up. We have to. We have to take it seriously." So wait, who breaks the most? Ah, I, it's probably both of us equally. If I see a twinkle in his eye, I'm gone, and and vice versa. It's right, really you just hard. like fall apart. But I keep picturing Brian Cox just being like, "Shut the hell up! Stop laughing! We're losing daylight." I think breaking up is quite a healthy, it's quite healthy because it sort of means, it sort of means you're paying attention to each other. You know, there are some actors who just, you know, you could walk into a scene naked and they wouldn't bat an eyelid because they're, they're not really noticing you, but it's not like that. Working with Sarah, I wanted to ask a little bit. That's such a delicate balance that you guys have because there are times that I feel like it's so clear that they're actually in love and times where it seems that they are using each other as a means to an end. And maybe those things aren't mutually exclusive, but do you have sort of an opinion about how Tom and Shiv actually feel about each other? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? I think it's a lot of things and I think it changes all the time. I do think there's a kernel of something there, certainly, that they love about each other and they probably share a sense of humour and there's a physical connection. And it's true to say that he's certainly punching above his weight, probably. And and also she she's probably with him, probably got together with him because he was a safe bet. You know, he's not going to, he's not a threat. Right. He's not going to cheat on her or leave her in the lurch or, you know. So I think that's, there's a certain security in him for her in that way and i think maybe she she'd been let down very badly and so tom she found on the rebound maybe i don't know mm. i mean it's it works so well because there are these it's like these glimmers of like lucidity where you all look at each other and you're just like oh okay there's something real there and then you're like oh god mm. you sort of think oh no this is plausible and then you think wow but I mean, that's sort of what makes it real, right? Like on a on a that's much right. lower economic scale, I feel like we all know Tom and Shiv in our real lives. Of course, yeah, because it's not about the money, really. I mean, the dynamics are the same. I think you know, it's a family. They're family dynamics, whether you've got billions of dollars and all the rest of it. Yeah, and it just it amplifies people's best and worst qualities. Speaking of worst qualities, we need to talk about Kendall's rap. 
My understanding oh. is that you didn't hear it until you saw it actually being filmed. No, it was just extraordinary. <laughs> we didn't rehearse. So those sort of stunned mouths agape, you know, that was the real thing. It was like, wow, he was, he was amazing. I mean, it's so impressive <laughs> and it's terrible. Oh, yeah. And he didn't really want to do it. I, I know that from the read through, I remember Jeremy saying, nah, this is not, I don't, I don't think this is, this isn't really Kendall. And then we, then we sort of forgot about it. And then <laughs> we were shooting in Dundee and then he, in a night shoot. So we were slightly sort of dippy anyway, because we've been up, it was three in the morning. So. so great. Now talk to me about being in a two-hander with Brian Cox. Is that, at this point, I'm sure you're not intimidated anymore, but was there a point at which where you're like, okay, how am I going to do this? <laughs> I'd done a film with Brian years and years and years ago, like in the late nineties, maybe. And we um, we didn't have much to do with each other, but I knew him and I bumped into him over certain things. So I was very fond of him. So it's just a real treat. He's, he's wonderful. He's just so formidable. Yeah, he I is. loved him in things previous to this. And I love him in this, but now I'm just like, you're kind of scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he's a very, he's, he's a real force, but he's very sweet and lovely and bright, funny man. And so are you getting the sense of people watching? Are you, maybe they're not asking you to do things or sending you chicken, but did you get a sense of the spread from season one to season two of like this sort of growing understanding that there was a fan base out there? Yes, it feels like there's a sort of nicely, a nice slow build of people who are watching the show. That's really gratifying that, as opposed to maybe a big fanfare at the beginning and it's sort of dribbling away. It feels like it started sort of under the radar and, and grew. And, and word of mouth as well, you know, lots of people saying this is the show you ought to be seeing, you know, which is, which is great. And so when it came time for the blood sacrifice, with every cast member just like, please don't let it be me because that might mean I'm, I get fired <laughs> from the show. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we didn't know. When did you find out? The table read. Wow. I think. Yeah. So it was quite, it was quite early on. So just a huge sigh of relief, like around the table. Yeah. And, and, and sort of hearts racing because it was such a, it was such a clever twist and it sort of sets it up very nicely for um, what's to come. And do you have any inkling what Kendall's decision might mean for Tom? No. That's great, right? Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. As much as I'm desperate to know, I I really don't. And it's always been like that, really. You know, from the get-go, you know, we get the scripts very late because they're under a lot of pressure to deliver. You know, so they're Jesse and the team are writing until the sort of table read and then we get them and then we shoot and we start shooting. And that's sort of wonderful because you, you don't have time to sort of think and you're just sort of on the hoof and it... As an actor, that's great. I, I, for me, anyway. You don't have to marinate, overanalyze. But you sort of make quite instinctive decisions. And, and it's so beautifully written. You know, it's all there for you, really. Absolutely. We don't know, obviously, what is going to happen right now with shooting and all of that stuff. I am guessing you guys hadn't started shooting yet. No, no. We were, about, we were supposed to start the end of April. And um, like all of us, we're just sort of waiting to see how this thing goes forward. Right. And so we will keep our fingers crossed about that. And it's just so interesting that this show is happening, not in this specific sort of pandemic moment, but in the world that we're living in, that this sort of the haves and the have-nots and these discussions that we've been having, that it is so sort of relevant and resonant at this moment. But do you ever feel like, oh God, but I'm kind of playing one of the bad guys? It's sort of endlessly interesting because it feeds into big business and politics and media and big media, I suppose, and truth 
and information and all the rest of it, which is everything. It seems to be everything at the moment. Absolutely. And as a member of not so big media, it's so fun to watch the sort of dramatic machinations of that. And and then you play, and I can't let you go because I have seen quiz and this is not airing until after quiz has aired. And I cannot tell you, oh my God. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's good fun, isn't it's it? It's so good. It's like a caper. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And it's another one where you have found yourself in a place where this is inherently a very dramatic situation. These are real life people that this happened to. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And yet it is also, they are, the way you play them is so funny. And I'm curious. Yeah. You guys didn't meet them until the end, right? Yeah, we met them very briefly on the last day of shooting, Sean and I. They just came to set for a bit of lunch and we said hello. Do you know if they've seen, have they seen it yet? Yeah. And I think as far as I know, they approved. It's a really, it's an odd thing playing real people and it's sort of strange. But what a story and what a change for their lives. And then what an opportunity for you to work with Sean Clifford and Michael Sheen. What a cast. I mean, this like core nucleus and how much fun was it working with Sean? Because what a fun relationship. Fun might not be the Uh, right word, but what a quirky relationship. It was really brilliant. And that, that, that's the interesting thing about where the more we did it from the get go, we'd be saying, you know, did they do it? Did we think were they framed or what? And then at the end, we sort of thought, well, the interesting thing is their relationship in a lot of it. You know, they stuck together and it's quite touching. It really is. And that sort of syndicate, that network of people that like came together to like figure out how to game the system. And it wasn't illegal technically, right? What they were. No, no. They were giving themselves an advantage, yeah. I just, I enjoyed it so much. All right, I have kept you for longer than I said I was going to, so I want to thank you so much for your time today, Matthew. I really do appreciate it. And before I let you go, we are asking everyone, what are you watching, reading, listening to? What is bringing you comfort in your quarantine? I'm reading a really brilliant thriller by a lady called Tana French called The Witch Elm. Like the rest of the world, I watched Tiger King, and I've just started something called Twin. With my wife, we watched the first episode. It's a Norwegian thing. Ooh, twin. Which is quite kind of creepy and yeah, it's good. Oh, all right. I got to add that to my list. My eldest has, is raving about um thing called Money Heist, Spanish thing. Look at which you. Which you can't get enough of. You're traveling the world without leaving your home. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Matthew, so much for your time today. So I really welcome. appreciate it. Not at all. And good luck. Stay home. Wash your hands. Yeah, now wash your hands. Bye-bye. All the very best. Take care. It was delightful to talk to him about how cringy Tom Wamsgans is. And I know, Kristen, that you also enjoy this character very much. Yes? Oh, I love him so much. He's so terrible in, in that the character is terrible and he's so good at being terrible. I would also just say if you haven't seen him in uh, Howard's End, by the way, which was on uh, Stars, right? It's a totally different character. Hilly Atwell is his, uh, you know, co-lead, and he's so good in it. And he's so like swoony and romantic, and then to play such a slimy jerkwad as Tom, it shows some range. I think the guy is going places, to be honest. The man has got some range. Well, next week we're going to be talking about one of our rave babes that we were already raving about, Bob Odenkirk, for Better Call Saul. We'll be talking to the estimable Nicole Kidman about Big Little Lies and discussing some of the other amazing drama stuff from this year. You will not want to miss it. 
So that'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to join the conversation, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and you can find Sarah at Sarah A. Rodman. Let us know what you think. The Awardist isn't just a podcast. You can also find us across EW platforms on EW.com, in the magazine, and on social media, too. So if you want to binge more of The Awardist, you know where to find it. Until then, we'll be on the couch. The Awardist is produced by EW in partnership with Pod People.